0: You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from technology advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. B2B marketers can work on SEO, content strategy, and landing page optimization to attract and convert organic traffic and increase revenue. Or they can go the paid media route and just try to buy the traffic. Okay, that's a gross oversimplification. The reality is that paid media is one of the many levers available to B2B marketers to pull. And it's not easy either. Getting your paid media spots in front of the right audience, at the right time, with the right message requires just as much strategy as going the organic route. I'm Mike Bestor from Technology Advice. Joining us for this episode of B2B Nation is Naira Perez, who runs Spring Hill Digital, an agency that helps marketers develop successful paid media strategies. Our conversation is going to touch on paid social and paid search strategies, and we're also going to talk about the future of social media, where the audiences can quickly shift to the next cool thing, and some people and government agencies are growing a little bit impatient with what they see as a lack of responsibility around content, advertising, and data privacy. Enjoy! Naira Perez, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Oh, hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Naira Perez, as you said, and I am the founder of Spring Hill Digital. We're just a small agency, boutique agency that specializes in small to medium businesses so that they get the same quality advertising advice as big companies would Um, And we really, really like to work with paid media. That's our specialty. And we also manage uh, pages like Facebook pages or LinkedIn pages, helping helping the businesses develop content for those pages.
0: All right. On the subject of paid media,
1: I'm going to throw two
0: types of paid media at you. And if you'd like to share what you consider the strengths of each or maybe some of the misconceptions around them that marketers have. The first is paid social.
1: So pay social has changed a lot during the years. Um, it is really good to create brand awareness. It's a perfect channel to create brand awareness. Um, what people don't understand about pay social or social media in general is that whenever you are there as a business, you're interrupting the uh, entertainment of the viewer. It's um uh, you're, you're in the middle of their feed, you're in the middle of the pictures of their friends or articles they're reading. So it is intrusive in that way. However, the viewer can passively consume or not consume your uh, content. So if you look at it that way, you have to really, really develop content that would be non-intrusive, that it would be really uh, welcoming by the audiences. Uh, and that is where paid media really can thrive in generating that brand awareness. Because you're there, you're part of the newsfeed. If you do it right, it's a win-win relationship for both of you. But the intention to purchase may not be there. So it is paid social. It is not uh, I advertise and just everybody converts. It is not, it is an introduction. It is you at a bar meeting a new person or at a party meeting a new person. That is what paid social is.
0: There's two sides to success there. Uh, There's the targeting, getting things in front of the right people. And there's a boatload of targeting options available at every social media platform. But then there's the content element, as you said. It should be content that fits in so that when the audience is scrolling, maybe it isn't quite as obtrusive as maybe some of the other ads that they're seeing.
1: Exactly. And to go back to what I said, that it has changed in in, in the last three years, um, it used to be that you could just almost throw anything in fake social and it will work in some measure because it was new, because it was exciting, and audiences weren't tired of people interrupting their entertainment. But now uh, it is very easy to ignore your ad. It is actually almost the first nature of audiences is to ignore your ad. So you have to make sure as an advertiser that you are talking, like you said, to the right audience first and you're giving them what they want or what they need, Uh, which what is requiring of uh, businesses and brands and advertisers is way more research up front before starting campaigns you cannot just put something and see money rain now you just you have to research it you have to understand your audience you have to uh, know what they're thinking what they need what they want and then give it to them that's how it has changed and that's where we are now
0: why do you think it's changed? Are there too many ads in people's social networks now and they're developing that ad blindness that we saw with the web? Are people more attuned as to what's an ad and what isn't? Why the change over the past three years?
1: Well, it's both. There is so many more ads right, right now in the news feed, in every social media um, platform, even the ones that didn't have ads before. Now they have ads because that's, that's how they make their money. Um, so, yes, there is more ads, but also people have learned to ignore them, have learned to scroll fast, have learned to just recognize when what is an ad and what is not. Um, and then just like everything else, if you give too much of one thing, then it just becomes meaningless. So um, in, in that sense, there are too many ads Everybody has seen them and they just move on. Nothing is new in a way. So um, that is why people can ignore them much easier. And it is much easier to ignore it, like just swipe up or swipe left or, you know, you know what to do where before people had uh, to learn that behavior.
0: Another form of paid media I want to touch on is paid search. Paid search can be tricky for smaller businesses because when you get to the most popular search terms, there are some vendors and big brands out there who have deep, deep pockets to make sure they are right there at the top of the page. So what about paid search? Let's talk about strengths and misconceptions around paid search.
1: Yeah, actually, paid search um, can be a very valuable tool. The main part is that paid search presents itself, the ads present themselves whenever the audiences are searching for something. So the intention is there. You're not interrupting uh, what they're doing. You're not interrupting their entertainment. They're actually searching possibly for you or for your product or for your service. So in that way, it is a a very nice uh, place to look for very quick conversions. Uh, but as you said, yes, smaller businesses competing with big brands that have deep, deep pockets, it is a challenge. Um, however, there is strategies around that. Um, the strategies around, as an example, not going for directly for the word that represents your service, but for something complementary to it or something that could be a substitute to it. Or um, there is a lot of things that you can do. Uh, through again, that research. You have to research what people are talking about. Um, You have to go to um, forums or groups and see how people refer to their problems um, that is not in a direct way. What are they trying to solve and, and what is the conversation going around? And by using those alternative keywords, you actually can bypass those big budgets. What do you
0: see people doing wrong with paid media, both social and search? I know I have a pet peeve on social, and that's ads that are trying to get me to download something. I think I'm like a lot of people, and most of my social media time is done on mobile. And I'm not going to download a PDF or download a trial of something on my phone because the experience will be poor or it may not work on my mobile operating system. So that's my pet peeve. What do you see people doing wrong?
1: Well, I, I see actually many things going on. One of them is anybody that can um, wants to convince you to use a hack to get 10,000 followers or a hack to get uh, you know 10,000 sales. There's no such a thing as hacks in marketing. Um, the, the hacks may work one time, maybe, um, but they are not a long-term strategy. So they shouldn't be uh, used as such. As a long-term strategy, so that's that's what bothers me from um, my industry in general. Uh, people that try to sell you the quick success because there's there's no such a thing. Uh, so, but. F- tactically from doing ads, the common mistakes that actually um, small businesses and medium businesses do is forget about their call to action. Like really think about their call to action. What do you want them to do? And how does that fit in that customer journey? Um, Because people will do what you tell them to do. And I've seen people creating video ads uh, or, or even just picture ads with no valid call to action. No, like, okay, they watch your video, now what? What do they do? What are you offering to them? Or telling them learn more and then they go to a landing page that is super general. And again, people don't know what to do or to homepage. That is a big pet peeve of mine. Do not drive people to your homepage. Drive them to what you just talked about in your ad Um, drive them to some place special because homepage, people can get lost. They're not gonna end where you want them to end, which is maybe a sale or a lead gen form. Or now if you drive them to your homepage, there's so many places for them to get lost. So um, drive people to where you want them to go to the path that you want them to take. That's very important. So think about the call to action. What do you want them to do after when whenever they see the ad and then carry that intention throughout your website throughout um, the post ad experience
0: And that experience is probably going to end at some type of a landing page. So how much do you find yourself working with your clients on developing effective landing pages and optimizing them and testing them to make sure they perform the way they want them to perform?
1: Oh, I I find myself a lot of the times working with our clients in those landing pages because just driving them to uh, your product page and like now buy is not enough. Your product page may have a lot of information, but is it easy to digest? As an example, you were saying that all of your social media content comes in your phone. So a product landing page that is not optimized for a phone, then it's not gonna convert. It's just that simple. People are not gonna take extra effort to convert they are going to do what's easy what you help them do so that's where we start is like we actually help them design pages that are for land, for mobile and then normally that converts very well to desktop especially if they're using templates um from places like a squarespace or or shopify that those templates just adapt but design it for mobile like they're gonna be scrolling don't put too much text uh, be very clear to the point, c- concise uh, copy, very simple to understand. Those are the things that we, we help our clients with uh, so that our media, our leads that we're bringing our clients, they actually can be converted.
0: How do you see marketers determining their marketing mix? So we've talked about paid media, there's earned media, there's demand gen tactics, there's events. The mix has probably changed up a little bit in the last 18 months with the lack of in-person events, but how do marketers determine which levers they're going to pull and when?
1: Well, that's a great question. We we actually encourage clients to share with us their uh, content strategy and organic strategy um, uh, whenever they do it not with us. Um, share it with us so paid media is going the same way as organic like every message that your audience can get whether it's paid media or earned media or anywhere else is the same so we want to be um working in the same team and wearing the same uniform if you want to uh, make an analogy that way so uh what i have been seeing especially because there is no events is clients developing more content more valuable content just dedicating more time to um, help that audience understand products and services, help that audience establish a relationship. We're going back to establish a relationship between audiences and brands and not just a one way brand puts an ad and that's it. Um, I've seen a lot of email marketing as well, uh, especially in B2B, a lot of demand generation. But the problem is that that channel, I, in my personal opinion is that it is very, very saturated. And there is a lot of um, unrequested email coming to business owners and um, you know, decision makers in companies. So the same that happens in social media where you just start ignoring your ads, uh, people are starting to ignore email um, that was not, requested by the receiver. There is a lot of um, uh, email lists being sold and a lot of prospecting that it's happening and it's tiring audiences. So it's more and more difficult to get into an inbox and make a significant um, change in the audience behavior. So Um, Yeah, I think that events are coming back slowly and there will be again marketing being, um, you know, used using events and that's going to be good because that's going to relieve the pressure on everything else. But those companies that have invested in content. Um, Those companies are going to be so far ahead already because that content can be used and transformed for upcoming events, can be used and transformed for social media, can be used and transformed for email marketing. So um, it's going to be really good to see some of that marketing mix, again, disperse a little bit.
0: We can't talk about social media and search without thinking about big tech as it's come to be known, I don't actually agree with that label because I think they're media companies who rely on technology, not technology companies, but that's Mm -hmm. a discussion for a different episode. (laughs) But do you hear clients expressing concern about the potential for increased regulation or antitrust action on social media? You can end up next to some pretty questionable content as far (laughs) as its veracity. Uh, So, how do your do your clients talk to you about that do you think about it often?
1: Oh yes especially last year last year was a big year to think about all of that and um, I I have my personal thoughts and then there are my clients thoughts um, I I come from the place where I think marketing should be a win-win relationship between audiences and brands so um, whenever you put somebody in the middle that, you know, has the potential to control and manipulate that um, for their own benefit, then that relationship gets broken. So uh, regulations are sometimes good, regulations, um, especially on new industries, like digital marketing hasn't been around for that long. I know it seems like it was <clears throat> it's was, it been around forever, but it hasn't been. And so there are behaviors that have been developed by certain companies that maybe should be looked at. And um, whenever you establish regulations, you establish clear rules that we all need to play by. And so sometimes that helps. I am not against regulation. I am against excessive regulation, but not regulation per se. Um, And companies can get too big and uh, whenever companies get too big, they, they can get too, um, abusive, I guess, in their use of um, their platforms or technologies. So uh, that's, that's where I stand. Um, my clients last year saw a lot of turmoil in certain platforms. And so they don't fear what's, what's coming in regulations or anything like that. What they fear is that maybe those platforms are not representative of their beliefs And therefore what we're looking at is um, more of a diversification of our of how many platforms we're in what kind of content audiences are dictating whether you are in one in one platform or another so whether it is regulated or not if the audience is not there then the brands won't be there
0: yeah i think i think as audience members of social media maybe it's subconscious, but I think we sort of assign certain qualities to different social media platforms. Twitter is where these people and these kind of conversations happen and Snapchat's different and Facebook's a little different from that. So we kind of assign them maybe more. They're just platforms, right? (laughs) Everybody just submits their content and whatever. But I think in our minds, we kind of give them more of a personality, like they're individual people
1: than yeah. maybe they
0: deserve, right?
1: Yeah, and then we give them beliefs that they may not really be there. Like a platform doesn't have a belief. It just represents the belief of the people that are there. Um, but yeah, I mean, think about it. Last year, we saw the boycott to Facebook and Facebook products during the month of um, June, July. So uh, that was a wake-up call of the power of audiences they have and you know at the end of the day uh, audiences are the 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 main part of the platform without users then facebook would wouldn't exist so i think that users realize of their power pressure and then we saw you know change in some brands and companies and um that is um is not Facebook dictating it, it was users pushing it. And that was amazing to see the power of people when they get together. Um, so in the future, that's, that's what really is gonna drive the regulation. That's what's gonna drive the, the clear rules or not clear rules for the future. We as users need to determine if we want to be in a platform or not.
0: And the audience, for some social platforms especially, can be very transient. Um,
1: mm-hmm. so I,
0: I think a lot of them, maybe all of them, have many more registered users than active users. So right off the bat, you've got that. You have a relatively small percentage of people who are actually you know, engaging in conversation and creating content. We all, we, we've all, we all know lurkers. <laughs> I've been told <laughs> that we are lurkers, right? Um, but I think, I think the one thing I think of when I think about how transient the audience was is basically like young people... Just trying to get away from their parents, like, like Facebook, <laughs> yeah. right? Facebook became known as Mom Book, and all the kids took to Twitter or Instagram or something else, and then you know Facebook turned yeah. around and them. But um, yeah, your audience may be there one day and not be there the next.
1: Yeah, and you know TikTok is a perfect example on how, for some of my clients, the audience wasn't there a simple sixteen months ago. Um, Everybody wanted to be in TikTok because it was growing so fast, Um, but the audience for some of my clients wasn't there, so we didn't didn't recommend that channel for those clients. However, after 16 months, um, and especially due to the circumstances of the last 16 months, um, there has been a a kind of a transfer of um, audience in... A lot of people that liked Instagram and now are on TikTok and they're older audiences and they're more affluent audiences. And so advertisers are starting to enter TikTok in a big way. Why? Because the audience changed. It changed in the last 16 months. And going back to that content um, comment that I made, they're starting to develop content specific for that channel for TikTok. So. Um, yeah they're transient and normally it's led the audience audience change is led by young people because they adopt technology much faster so they lead the way and some platforms will work just fine and grow and some of them will just fizzle and um, yeah the ones that work fine then as you said, the moms or the dads or the grandparents kind of follow their young audiences. So <laughs> uh, at the end, we just have audiences moving around in channels and platforms.
0: I think that was the secret to Facebook success because when a lot of these tools were coming out, I remember thinking, if you can get my parents on them, you've done a lot. And <laughs> Google tried its social network. I was like, how are you going to get all those older people to leave one and go to the other when they just figured one out yeah you know it's like they they found Facebook and they've stuck there and it's worked and I don't sometimes I think that's just luck like right place right time
1: maybe definitely definitely um and you know Facebook is still very very powerful um especially because uh if you're not on Facebook then you're in Instagram and you know that then you, there is WhatsApp and it owns so much that you, they capture a lot of a lot of audiences, and then yes, the younger generation goes to TikTok and because we were all living together in the same place and families, multi generational families have been living together. Then now the parents are on TikTok. So, but yes, Google Google Plus was an interesting failure in on the part of Google. And um yeah, it never took off. It was (laughs) it was so sad. It was just the saddest platform ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well it just it was it was kind of a follow on, right? It was like, well, Facebook did this and we're gonna do it. And it was like, what did it offer that the other one didn't? And like I said, Facebook just had those people who found themselves there and didn't really care or know how to move. It's not the thing about social media is you can't change. You can't have one person go, right? Like if you,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: if you need to bring their whole social circle
1: to the next
0: platform, and that's something young people have done. And I don't know that older people have that kind of influence over their circle.
1: Yeah. It's uh, the habits of, older people are much more established and also they don't understand the technology or they don't have the fluidity to change in between technologies. Just, you know, just remembering a password for my mom, it's just a challenge and she writes it all in paper and I've tried to convince her to go to something else. And she's just like, no, it works for me and it's fine. Like there is no gain for her to adopt new technology. There's absolutely no gain. So where younger audiences, there is a lot to be gained with new and exciting platforms and learning new things. So whenever we are targeting audiences, we think about that. Like what do they have to gain? What's gonna be easy for them to adopt and and that's how we find our audiences.
0: Young people have been trying to hang out where the adults are not for a long, long time, long before social media. Right. So it's just an electronic version of an old habit.
1: It's exactly, exactly. <laughs> since, since the inception of time, they have right. been trying to avoid their parents.
0: <laughs> All right. There is one question we asked just about everybody on B2B Nation, and that is, what is the one tool you cannot work without? If we took it away from you, your productivity would screech to a halt.
1: Oh, that's easy. The reporting tools. And we're in between reporting tools, but um, we, we have tools that take the data from different channels and put it together for us. Um, We like to optimize directly on the platforms, but reporting to clients is so much easier when somebody else put it all together in a very nice uh, layout with graphics and helps us digest that information for the clients. Because that we like raw data and numbers doesn't mean that my clients need to see every single detail. They just need to see the the summary. So reporting tools is actually... um, just vital for us we used to use Excel and just it will take us two to three hours to do one report where now with with the tools that we're using it just takes us you know 10 minutes 15 minutes at most and they are real time the clients can go to um the where the report leaves and it has the latest information so that yeah we couldn't live without it
0: All right, Naira Perez, thanks for appearing on B2B Nation.
1: Thank you so much for reminding me. This was fun.
0: Thanks again to Naira Perez for joining us for this episode of B2B Nation. If you found this episode interesting or insightful, subscribe to B2B Nation on the podcast platform of your choice, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and be sure that you share it with a friend. Thank you to my technology advice colleagues, Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, and Emily Whalen. We love our theme song, composed by none other than Mnemonics in the Guild. Close your eyes and soak it in on your way out, and we'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.